Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes if it has wheels and an engine and they keep score it's on midweek motorsport hello everybody and welcome to motorsport it is series 13 episode Number 37. I am in California after midday, just after 8 o'clock in the evening over there in the UK, where up in London we find our executive producer Tim Gray. Hello, Tim. Hello, John. Good evening. Good afternoon. And on, yes, just literally afternoon now. On a packed programme tonight, we have what? Uh, we have all the usual features. Uh, including uh, we'll have news uh, we might have some news in Spanish we might have a pointless <laughs> press release of the week uh, we'll be talking to some of our usual contributors Nick Damon will be with us but he's not going to say yay there uh, Johnny Palmer will no, he's be not, with not us actually to do that yet clearly uh, shall I do a little before we get started shall I do a few um Bits and pieces of housekeeping. Uh, yes, do. Um, and apparently, since you've moved to the chair that you're currently in, uh, your audio has gone mm-hmm. funny. Oh, really? Yeah. That's bizarre. Oh. You're, you're substantially louder than you were. Yeah. I'll back off the mic a bit then. That's because I have my radio voice on now, love. Uh, hello to Dave Stillwell, who's apologising for his absence this week on Midway Motorsport. He sent that through uh, to AdSpecutainment. He says, I need my sleep in the Antipodes, counting down the days to this year's great race for the Bathurst 1000. I need to get supercars to stream the course commentary live via RSL Studio. Um, well, actually, uh, funny you should say that, but we have had conversations with Responsible Adult, uh, has had a number of conversations with supercars about an international stream I don't think it's going to happen this year in fact I know it's not going to happen this year those conversations are ongoing so watch the space for the endurance races and supercars um, hello to Michael Friedman uh, and to Steve uh, Brizentine both out here in this part of the world no apologies from Robert Stevens who's listening whilst driving from Austin to Kilgore Texas to see my 89 year old dad the dog is riding as, the, as a navigator, apparently. Uh, apologies for tonight's EFAs. I'm in the wrong part of the world again. Looking forward to the podcast, but have a great show. Chris Suki, thank you for that. Uh, we've got uh, Roddy, who's listening in live this evening. Uh, busy, uh, no EFAs tonight, he says. Um, I am busy, or will be by 8 o'clock, uh, clothing my VW Fastback ready for paint tomorrow um, with Midweek Motorsport keeping me sent. VW Fastback, is that an old variant? 
that you've got there. Fantastic. Very excited by that. We'll need some pictures, please, if you don't mind of that. And scrolling down a little more. Uh, oh, dear. Sorry, I'm trying to do this all on my phone tonight. And uh, Ford GT is life. Uh, reminding me what the lap record is in F for an F1 car around uh, Laguna Seca. Um, and more about that later and why that might be important. It's a minute and five seconds, he says. Uh, it's apologies for absence for Dave Charlton this week. Just arrived near Barcelona on a Newcastle, Spain, France, Switzerland, Belgium road trip. And uh, I've no clue why you're doing it that way because that doesn't make any sense. Surely it should have been Newcastle, France, Spain, possibly Belgium. France, Belgium, Spain, I don't know. but uh, Belgium, for, no for, France if you're starting in Newcastle. Depends which way you cross the water, doesn't it, I suppose. Well, you go to uh, the Ostend. Yes, true. Um, Rob Jainer is, uh, apologies for absence tonight, he's saving the podcast for the drive to Silverstone at the weekend where he's marshalling. No airfare for Alexander Orkin. Hello, Alex, listening while working after a fantastic shh project result. Ooh. Well, that's good news. Listening live tonight is Chris Humphreys. Uh, he is doing a uh, 100% long uh, online race around the Red Bull Racing Ring. Okay. And he's at the uh, British Touring Cars this weekend at Brands Hatch. He'll be marshalling there. Thanks for your service there, Chris. Always good to know. Uh, Adrian Michael Reese, AMR, is at home for uh, this evening's show, as is Davy Two Brews. Uh, right turn lover. Uh, Phil says, uh, if you mention ELMS, I think it was very well managed. We will be talking ELMS later on. With any luck, we will be uh, speaking to our lead commentator, Johnny Palmer, about that a bit later on. Keep the tweets coming in. And Carzar's photography's just dropped in. He says, I can only listen to the first half of the show tonight. Well, welcome for that as well. Gary Taylor says he's just jumped out of the bath. He's checking in to listen live for the first time in ages. I'm wearing a towel just in case you were wondering. Thank goodness for that, Gary, is all I can say. Shuffle your papers, Tim, and play the jingle. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. And we're going to start with some Formula One news. It kind of worked, um, but we can hear the illness in your voice, Nick Damon. Good evening. Thank you. I, I, I have a, a letter from the doctor. I can't be. No, I've managed to get myself a nice, a nice stinking cold. Lucky old me. You're not running on all cylinders tonight, are you, Mitch? You can hear that. <coughs> No, man, we're coughing fit even now. I'll be fine. Don't worry. But obviously, if you want to send any, uh, you know, hot toddies or uh, lem sips, then obviously just send them to uh, to, to uh, the toilet uh, near Silverstone. Uh, turn left, Red Bull. Yeah. Okay. Uh, sounds like you've got a bit of a misfire there, actually. To be honest, <laughs> uh, we'll get that sorted out. Uh, Formula One news tonight. Yes. Um, are we Are we going to start with we're, the we're thing that Nick with uh, with uh, a story about two former Formula One drivers? Ah, okay. who have been holidaying together. How lovely. And uh, one has introduced the other to the joys of real ale. Right, okay. This is... Uh, is one of them Mark Webber? No. Because he was in a pub at one point. 
He did, yeah. I think he still has the pub. I, I believe he still has the pub, him and Anne. So, so who, in which case, that's all my guess is gone. Who is it then? Uh, Jensen Button. Right. And? Uh, and Max Chilton. Okay. Of, uh, on the Amalfi Coast. Uh, oh, how lovely. Yes. Uh, and they had a uh, unplanned five-hour lunch together. Unplanned? Yes. What, they didn't expect to see each other? Or they didn't expect it to be five hours? I don't don't think they expected to be uh, dining together. Mm, For five hours. But uh, there they are, pictured uh, sitting next to the pool uh, with their... (laughs) I was going to say wives. uh, Obviously, Max and Chloe are married. Jensen isn't, is he? That's his girlfriend. He's engaged. Fiancé. Mm-hmm. And what's the point of this story, then? Uh, because Jensen Button has introduced Max Chilton to the joys of real ale, and Max says, I will never drink lager again. Right. Well, that's, that right. is top news. That really is, you know, that's earth-shattering. I could say, well, that was top story, can't you? Mm. Obviously, nothing happened in the Formula Renault, Formula Renault Northern European series this week. Uh, let's no, move, one story. move to America, then. Right, uh, which because, is where I'm uh, There's some big news there tomorrow night. Uh, right, Thursday you're being night. so um, uh, vague, it's very hard. There's, there's big news every night in America. But there's I a take meeting it... tomorrow Two. night of the Miami City yeah. Commission. Ah. I, thought they'd, I thought they'd already postponed this. They're going to have an indefinite delay stuck on it. No, this is uh, what's happening tomorrow. Tomorrow they will vote to on a proposal to indefinitely defer uh, the Formula One race in uh, Florida, in Miami. Indefinitely? Yes. It's not happening then. Uh, the way the system works is... If an item is deferred, <coughs> it keeps getting put on the agenda until a decision is made one way or the other. When we defer okay. indefinitely, it doesn't come back for six months unless we specifically call back to an agenda. It's a very interesting so what, definition of the word indefinitely, isn't it? Six months. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. It, it is six That's months or less. Right. Um, okay. So... Uh, a spokesman said F1 has some things to work out with various parties, so it's not currently ready to be considered. Yes, because it, isn't it some woman who doesn't want to go and pass our house? Not going past my house. Yes. Are we talked about that. Adam. Yeah. Well, given the Chiefs and Fort Lauderdale, it would be a heck of a long track if it was going past her. Um, however, I think we covered this the other week, didn't we, when we were talking about the residents' association yes. started to get involved. So once that happens, um, who knows? There could be all kinds of all kinds of issues. I, I have heard there's a car park in Las Vegas they can use. Well, very true. Uh, shall we'll, we'll we move send on John to... to investigate that. I, I could do that. Um, um, there'll be a tour of the car parks next week, of which more of that later. Excellent. Uh, Moving well. on, because while Miami is delayed indefinitely, mm-hmm. Copenhagen may be terminally off the calendar. That was wonderful. wonderful. <laughs> why, why is that? Uh, the uh, Danish Grand Prix Consortium, uh, which over a year ago thought a street race around Copenhagen would be a great way of capitalising on the popularity of uh, Kevin Magnussen, um, yes. which then brought in Herman Tilke <laughs> to 
Oh gosh, design a circuit. Mm-hmm. Well, um, they, do, they do have a classic event in the streets around there on a on a pretty decent track. It was uh, being compared to Baku, which is obviously uh, very popular among the drivers. Um, yeah. But apparently, uh, there is an issue. Is Kev Magnussen not as popular as I thought? Uh, the finance minister, uh, Christine Jensen, right. uh, says the plans have been scrapped due to a lack of support from city authorities. The national government had previously said it would help uh, towards the costs if the city uh, also contributed to the costs. Right. Um uh, but Jensen said, we don't think it's reasonable that the city where such a large event is to take place does not also contribute economically. Right. Okay. Uh, so, so basically, Formula One can't make money shock outside of dictatorships. Yes. Although yeah. they are still planning uh, those races in Argentina, the Netherlands and Vietnam. Of course they are. Which aren't going to happen either. Now, the thing to remember is that as of uh, next year, so at the end of next year, um, the German Grand Prix has only got a one-year contract. Yes. Silverstone is in its last year, and so is Monza. So I yes. don't think that uh, Liberty are going to want to lose all their European tracks. No. So my guess is that there may, there may well be some, um, what's the word for it, discounts about. And so when these uh, new tracks can't either so the lack of a uh, an alternative in copenhagen or zandvoort is just going to play actually oddly into the uh, the bargaining position of silverstone going look you need to have european races mate and uh you know uh, you're gonna have to cover the cash because no one believes that back who's in europe you know not even the bacchanese i believe it's in europe <laughs> and actually i was watching a documentary the other day um <laughs> in eurovision where someone was walking through uh uh well, he was walking from Russia to uh, Iran. Um, Baku? And he walked through Baku and talked to some locals and said, are you in Europe or Asia? And they all said Europe. Mm. That doesn't mean anything. They do have <laughs> no. a very European outlook. Mm. Yes, but it's, uh, this is about geography, not, not personal preference. Let's not even get into that argument right now. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. Uh, it's Series 13, Episode 37. Uh, quickly, a few before we carry on. While Nick has a bit of a cough, um, right turn lover, realising where I am and the fact I'm a bit at Rensport, says, you didn't, he tweeted at Spectatainment, you didn't by any chance have a peep into the new RSR's engine compartment, did you? Mm, that car might not actually be here. Um we may have been misled on that. So I'm, I'm not sure that car's going to be here this weekend, but we'll give you an update on that in our special shows later on this week. Brody has uh, sent us a fabulous photograph of his VW variant uh, in the in a field. Uh, it, and it's outstanding in its field. It's brilliant. He says it's an old picture, but uh, he says it is indeed a variation of the variant. <laughs> A version of the variant, sorry. Uh, so I've just retweeted that. And Sarah Rigby is tuned in live in crew tonight. Um, congrats to Flick here and Johnny Adam for winning the GT3 part of the British GT Championship. An historic win for Flick uh, and a great send-off for the Aston Martin Vantage. Absolutely true. Is that and... historic in the American sense of historic? 
Well, it was it was the car's last outing, and um, so it's it's bookended its outings as the uh, uh, as uh, with victories, I think. So, uh, Shay Adam, hello Shay, says an F1 track on the roads round by me in Fort Lauderdale would be much better than the one that they have proposed in Miami. Let's get that drawn up. Uh, absolutely, start drawing on uh, a map, and uh, we'll expect to see that uh, later, Shay. And uh, as yes, uh, and there will be a prize for all those we show, but obviously we can't return any. Um, is this a new midweek motorsport feature? Says Adrian Michael Reach. Things we knew weren't going to happen, but we'll report that they won't happen anyway. When we're talking about Miami F1, yes, yes, I like that. Uh, let's can I just point to... out that, that in the past that's got me a Rolex? Well, that's true. Mm. Yes, yeah, very true. <laughs> Shall we go back to Formula One and something that we said that wasn't going to happen, picking up on that, and in fact has happened? No. Well, no, no, because I don't think I, I don't think I said it wouldn't happen. I've been, I've been, I've been. And actually, it hasn't accused. happened either. It has happened. Because Antonio Giovinazzi has got the uh, second seat at Salva in, in preference to Marcus Ericsson, and, and I actually said that it will show what the balance of power is in the team now. Because uh, Ericsson, Ericsson will be saying there is third driver and brand ambassador. Ooh. But didn't? But if you believe the PR spin brackets, if close brackets, um, then Kimi got Ericsson's job. Yes. Well, yes, that is. So that makes sense because obviously then they can say that the the the, the Ferrari placed driver of which Sauber uh, are contracted to take one is see and it was their decision to take uh, so that would be fair enough. And ever since he was a bambino, uh, he's wanted to have um, that drive. Uh, what for Sauber? Apparently, no. He just said he wanted to be in Formula One actually. Was he, was he like a massive Heinz-Held Frenson fan in, in the early 90s then? Did you not see his tweet of him sitting on a little red Formula One push-along car with his kit, no, with no, his yeah. Yeah, sort of overalls on and that? It was really a sweet picture. It and he did tweet caption, it. Quando da bambino mi chiedevano cosa volesse fare da grande la mia riposta era il pilota da Formula One. Oggi quello che sognavo da bambino si realizza... Uh, e dai prossimo anno avrò l'onore dei... And then it continued off onto something I couldn't read. Basically, that does ever since I was a young boy. Yes, exactly. Which is fantastic. Even even in a different language, it's it, it still proves that uh, this is the preeminent place for everybody in motorsport to get their cliches, which, you know, frankly, if that's all we've ever achieved, Nick, I think we'd be happy with that. I think we 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 all probably overreached ourselves actually, but um, yeah, I mean, it's nice. Yeah, sorry, Dick. That's yeah. two Formula One drivers recently with Isla Clerk, uh, and and now ever since I was a small boy with. Uh, I would like to Chief point out that the Isla the Isla Clerk has to be us. There's nowhere else yeah. it can be. Um, the other one is probably a little bit more generic because it's been obviously in every single sports had that one. I mean, when when some some you know footballer holds up the uh, Man City scarf before six months later going to Chelsea you know they go oh I've always dreamt of playing this sort of league but uh, yeah I think we, can, we can certainly claim it's Isla Clare because basically who else is going to back reference a, um, a now slightly dodgy uh, 1990 sitcom 1980s <laughs> mainly wasn't it 
I think it was 90s. I mean, it actually might be. I, I, and of course, I did actually go and see the stage version of that in the West End. <laughs> of course you did. I think we should uh, we should have a yearly uh, as part of the award. Uh, 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 what do we call it? Uh, award ceremony. Man of the year. Person Man of the year. year. Person. Sorry, person. The, we do call it Motti, That's though, don't the we? Awards. We we should award. have a special prize, which uh, I'm going to uh, name now: the Quando da Bambino Cup for yes, the <laughs> best use of ever since I was a young boy. Yes. Sleep. But I forget. No, yeah, it was a, uh, female racing drivers can also use the uh, phrase "ever since I was a young boy." Right. As can as can uh, aging rockers in the in the opera Tommy. Ever since I was a young boy, I've played the silver ball. Exactly. Mm. Moving on. Uh, I thought we never would. Uh, <laughs> so Marcus Ericsson stays at Sauber uh, uh, as a. Alfa Romeo ambassador. Well, that's worse, Josh. You know, I mean, it's, it's a bit weird because he's—it's a bit weird, really, because you, you think he'd still want to drive somewhere. He's not exactly aged, and he's still pretty competitive. And whilst he isn't the best person in F1, he's still a very good driver. It's not stopping him from racing elsewhere, though. He did say he was going to explore other options. Mm. Can I ask a really? Can I ask a, a, a question about? You know, one of the reasons that we were talking about why Ericsson probably wouldn't go um, was because of the financial interest uh, in this in the Sauber Alfa Romeo team that is linked to him, uh, his family, his acquaintances, etc. Do we read anything into this to say that that either has changed or might change, Nick, and in terms of the ownership or at least the finances of the team and effectively has uh, Alfa Romeo, Sauber, Sauber Alfa Romeo rather, now become the Scuderia Junior team? Absolutely, 100%. Right. Um, I think I think what happened was you know, when Longbow took over Sauber, they were in a very very precarious situation. They kind of rescued Sauber from, you know, almost a, a force indirect problem. And then of course you know over the hill uh, came Alfa Romeo with a very large amount of money, Ferrari engines. Um, the you know obvious fact that you know, Simona Resta went to become uh, the technical director of, of Sauber from Ferrari with no gardening leave. It, and mm. also a general feeling you need a B team now. So absolutely, I mean it's 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 you know it is Sauber Alpha Romeo. I, I don't know whether I have no idea whether the ambition is to, have, is it to become Alpha Romeo Alpha Romeo. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, but certainly you know, it fits in with the, with the marketing and the requirements of of the Fiat Group. Well, certainly the Marchionne version of Fiat Group. For example, Maserati are looking to become. And the hybrid teams, they're more likely to go when they get a chance into Formula E. If they wish to go there. They're, they're very much going to uh, push the hybrid and electric elements with Maserati because they have these three brands that have a sporting edge to them. Um, unfortunately, they can't go back to uh, rallying with Lancia, which is always uh, a sad thing for me. But yeah, I, mean, I think I think the Alfa Romeo influence is getting bigger, um, and you know, that, I, mean, I don't really have a problem with it. I think it's interesting where it leaves Haas though, because Haas obviously are also sort of a halfway house satellite team for Ferrari, even possibly mm-hmm. generously donating a wind tunnel time to them, <clears throat> allegedly. Um, but it might mean that the you know the the, the favouritism will, will switch around, um, and we are beginning this first axis of power. Yeah, we've had the uh, Toro Rosso Red Bull axis for a while, but they've been so confused over the last few years about engines. You know, they've been one year when they've run the same engine recently, and then it was it was the Renault which they were both constantly having a go at. 
that's a new axis next year because they're both running the Honda engines. They can they can actually sit down and start planning together, <clears throat> off the record, of course, uh, which is why Mercedes really need to tie down. And this is why a lot of the chat is about Esteban Ocon and George Russell and drivers. They need really to tie down who is going to be their preferred well, team, whether it's Force India or Williams. Now, sorry, just finish this. I mean, pretty obviously, yeah. sporting-wise, it's been Force India. You can look at the way, you know, we've seen Force India cars not give any trouble to the Mercedes cars going past. Um, whereas the Williams cars are still being terribly independent. But realistically, for Williams to survive, and you know, this is not necessarily a nice thing to say, they need to come much, much, much more closely in line with Mercedes, take on one or two of their drivers, and be prepared to play the company line. Um, you know, And then the Renault Axis, which is two teams, it's Renault and McLaren. Um, it's in both their interests, Renault and McLaren, despite being very independent-minded, it's really in their interest to work together for the next couple of years. Um, to try and catch up and then have a row about who's the best in three seasons time so that's Mercedes problem is they are out on their own trying to find people who want to pally up with them um, forcing India in chaos because of the takeover and and Williams have been deliberately independent which I admire them for but really isn't working Right, a couple of tweets coming in. It's very busy on Twitter. I'd expect your term tonight. Thank you for that, or this afternoon, where I am. Uh, reminder, I'm in... Uh, I'm actually in Seaside at the moment at uh, the Holiday Inn using their free Wi-Fi, thanks to the IHG uh, Rewards Club. Um, Michael Denny says, a little bit earlier on, you were talking about uh, Copenhagen not getting a Grand Prix. Surely, with its e-course land, wouldn't Copenhagen suit a Formula E race? That's a reasonable point. Uh, Rob Chalmers, a, a couple of this is this is on the driver movement, Nick. So these take these and and run with them. Guido van der Garde, does he have a drive with Sauber next year? And Nick Holland says, should we start the Ericsson, which he spelt with two dollar signs as the two S's, which is very funny. Uh, should we start the Ericsson to Williams rumour now? No, and well done. A nice black, nice back reference, but it does point out how far Sauber have come in two years. You know, they were the laughing stock of the grid with three people signed for two seats three years ago, sorry. Then they were two seconds off the pace at the back. Now they've caught up, they've worked out the car, and Sam very rightly pointed out in the preview when they were having a bad um, uh, practice, um, you know, uh, pre-season testing, that once they got the handle on the car, they become much more competitive, and they certainly have moved up to the, to the middle of the middle field. Um, and they are, you know, realistically, in this Class B battle, we expect to still be raging next year, um, likely to be, certainly with, if Raikkonen's got his, you know, his, his, has the motivation, likely to be a major challenger. Mm. Um, and so you don't think that Ericsson will be a target for Williams with his money? No, because um, he's an Aston, uh, Aston Martin, Alfa Romeo ambassador. Yeah, and there's and there's and there's you know if you want, if, they've got two drivers who who are circling with cash. They're both Russians. Um, yeah. Whether the fact that we're going to have one Russian on the grid already, we're, I'm sure they're going to announce Kvyat this weekend. So whether, whether we'll have three Russians, whether there's enough Russian money to go around, the point yeah. is that both Russell, Russell and Ocon are there with with discount engines, which isn't, obviously isn't as much money as as Russian money. Um, yeah. You know, Williams, despite being absolutely terrible this year, perhaps not moving Team forward, Williams. Williams, yeah, um, have got to. Formula One seats with the potential to do better uh, with an attractive opportunity and they can sell those. The fact is they're not going to be employing, well, it's unlikely to employ the best they can get unless they do go out and get Ocon and Russell, which probably are the best they could get at the moment. 
Um, but that would be take a, a huge financial investment for Mercedes, who are now backing away from that. Um, so we'll have to see what's going to happen. And of course, Mercedes are about to change their um, chief executive. Dieter Zucci is retiring in a few months. So we'll be interested to see what happens with the new guy who comes in, who's a much more ecologically focused Swede. Uh, the top of Mercedes uh, uh, Diamond Benz. So, follow up from uh, Sarah Rigby. She says the historic win was with Flick here being the first woman to win the British GT GT3 title outright. Uh, obviously, following up on Jamie Chadwick's GT4 title in 2015. Jamie, the youngest driver to do that. Uh, Adam Borman says, um, I do think Sauber have got it right. Right, getting to push the development of the car. Uh, Giovinazzi to learn from Kimi, develop his racecraft away from the pressure of Ferrari. That's actually that's a pretty good shout, isn't it, Nick? I'm not particularly convinced by Giovinazzi, to be honest. Um, yeah, we had those two or three runs um, at the beginning of last year, was it, when he was replacing mm. Verline? And whilst he did something, he did stick the car off the track a huge number of times, which is overdriving. And one of the things you need to learn initially on the limits and he seems he was having problems with that so i um i remain to be convinced um but he is italian and and that obviously mm. is massively attractive to alfa romeo and ferrari and fair enough i wonder if he'd been a different nationality whether he would have got this opportunity uh, adrian michael Rees says does it surprise you uh since the bmw diversion of the mid 2000s uh, that Sauber have returned to being the indirect Ferrari junior team. I, I, I think, to be honest, EMR, that, that goes to what Nick was saying earlier on. It, it, it signifies the fabulous turnaround that they've done since the, the financial problems. All right, Longbo have been instrumental in that. That's the Swedish conglomerate that we talked about in at length uh, last week. Um, two weeks ago. I, Two weeks ago, sorry, yes. Thanks, Tim. Um, and well, we started two I weeks do wonder... ago. By the time I finished, it might have been last week. Yeah, yes, that... <laughs> it was longer and more involved than a set of wardrobe instructions from IKEA. In fairness, um, the uh, I mean, it, what does that mean for what does the, all this mean for Longboard or to, uh, for Nick? Do you think? I mean, are they likely to be bought out of their stake and so become genuinely the 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 Ferrari Junior team, or will they? I mean, Ericsson Sting, that suggests to me that they're still involved. Well, I mean, they are a consortium who had rescued Sauber and bought the team when it was a fire sale. And if they will be selling it, it'll be selling it as a competitive going concern. So it doesn't take a genius to work out it's now worth more than they paid for it. The question yeah. is, as we often find, is who wishes to buy it? The only person who realistically is going to want to buy it is the uh, the Fiat group, whichever element it may be. Um and obviously that, again, because they've gone under a major management change in the past few months, we're still waiting to see what happens as, as that runs out, whether that's, that, that overall overarching plan that Sergio Marchioni put in place is still what the new guy wants to do. So that's the um, the variable. But, I mean, you, you have to say that Alfa Romeo must be chuffed a bit to their investment this year. It's really yes. well for them. They've, they've had fantastic publicity. They've had Charles clerk getting all the column inches because effectively if, if we weren't talking about Sebastian we weren't, we, and we weren't talking about Lewis we were talking about Charles so they've had a fabulous year for PR and everything else the cars come from the back and they can say well, with, well look with Alfa Romeo helping it's gone from being two seconds off the pace to right in the middle of the midfield so I mean, look, I'd be surprised they get the same return next year but you know it's, it's been a, a genius piece of marketing it's been by far the most effective piece 
this year. But obviously, as we all know with Formula One, we've all got to start again from scratch in uh, in March. They will have the Kimi right. marketing next year, of course. Yes. Um, no, no. One of the things when Kimi was announced that was rumoured only, uh, as far as I can see, in the Scandinavian media was that Kimi had uh, had uh, a financial interest in the team now. Um, mm. So do we think that... Um, part of the team has been sold by the Swedes to uh, Kimi and maybe another part to Fiat. Perhaps he's taking his money in shares. You know, he would cost a lot of money. Perhaps he's saying, they're saying, well, we need the money for development. He said, well, well pay me in shares then. And, and you know, right to another point out, Nick. Uh, right to another point out. Is Ericsson actually staying on as an Alfa Romeo brand asset? Brand brand ambassador brand ambassador see i've just uh, combined two words I'm, but, you, you get to me. but yes he it is, is. <laughs> because yeah. the release was by the team not not by the manufacturer wasn't it that's true but it does uh does clearly say that uh that uh, does it say it a brand, ambassador, or just brand ambassador okay right okay no fine thanks uh for Getting that out. Uh, rotation, uh, rather facetiously, but quite funnily, says, I still think the F1 race of Scandawija should be in Stockholm to see how they could make the congestion worse. Um, <laughs> good. And uh, Shea Adam on uh, Formula One tracks in South Florida. After much trying, I've spotted no good areas for Formula One tracks, street tracks in South Florida. Uh, I think we should just send them to Sebring. That would be fun. Or not. Not going to attract. It's not that sort of built-up area that uh, they want for a city centre race. Mm. Uh, Swedish Touring Car Championship are running a, a midnight sun race uh, next year. Excellent. Very nice. Can I pick up uh, on something that Nick Damon said uh, a while ago, but still as part of this story? Go uh, on. Where he mentioned. Um, quite liberally uh, another Italian car manufacturer um, and I'm wondering whether the, he has any ulterior motive for mentioning Maserati three <laughs> times in one sentence I, I, I don't know what you're saying Tim, I have no idea there's no truth in the rumour they're lending me a Levante for the weekend <laughs> um, Rob Chalmers brings up a great point here as far as Formula 1 and then we'll, we'll move on after after this but it, it, there's been so much tweetage tonight on this I think it's it's worthwhile covering it um, he says does the proliferation of A, B and C teams risk Formula 1 slipping into the DTM business model with the associated and possibly um, over dependence on original equipment manufacturers who can effectively kill the series if they leave. Uh, what it does do, Nick, uh, there is a potential, uh, there is a danger of that. But the, the other side of it is that the teams who don't have A and B teams um, don't have as much influence. And this has been one of the ongoing arguments within Formula One, uh, certainly since Liberty have been around, that Mercedes have too much influence because of the teams that they supply. Um, somebody else is something else. And, and if Ferrari are now stepping up, who have traditionally been the outlier, if you will, being just Ferrari, then this could this could actually swear the balance of power, couldn't it? Absolutely. I think, you know, this is this is this is not 
you know, the, the people are not forming B teams or C teams or whatever for, because they just want to help out the smaller team. It's, it's a massive advantage. There are four manufacturers at the moment, so it does tend to mean that if one goes away, you're still okay. But uh, obviously, the, one of the reasons, of course, why Liberty are trying to actually get the manufacturers to sign up to any new agreement past 2021 is to guarantee that you don't have that issue for three or four years and you can have succession planning. The fact is that if you start looking at a situation where we have we are limiting things like air, um, wind tunnel, um, CF, CFD, they want to limit testing, they are limiting, um, they're looking at a budget cap, then it makes sense for the people who have surpluses of all of these to be able to use them or, sorry, have them used yeah. by satellite teams. It is a methodology yeah. of both gaining political influence and completely legally, though perhaps not sportingly, and I'm not and I, by that, I'm looking at all four manufacturers. I'm not saying Ferrari, Mercedes, or Renault or anybody else. Circumnavigating what is likely to be upcoming rules, which would prevent them spending all the money they want to spend, even though they want to spend it, which, as you know, I'm completely against. Okay, you listen to Midweek Motorsport um, just after half past midday here in California, getting ready to head back up to the circuit uh, later on this afternoon to see how the preparations for Ren Sport 6. Yeah, it's coming around. It's all about winning cars and champions, uh, this particular Rennsport, and the 70th birthday of Porsche. Um, already looking fantastic in the, I mean, it's a large paddock area, and it was already filling up with, with pretty much every Porsche you might want to see, and a few you'd forgot even existed, both on and off the track. Uh, and that's before um, the spectators come with their own cars. I take it that Eve hasn't let you go. I take it that Eve hasn't let you go anywhere near the track with your wallet, has she? Uh, uh, before I left, she <laughs> took away every credit card that had uh, any um, any limit on it that was over about five hundred dollars. So even if I put them all together, um, funny enough, yesterday when um, I was with the, the guys from Porsche Cars North America, just having a quick look around, I, I did think it would be a good idea for me to have a Porsche out here just for when I'm out here. And that, <laughs> that was that was mooted. Uh, I was going to say, hopefully that doesn't get back to the responsible adult, but as um, I know she'll be listening into this, I've rather blown that one now. You could get one I? of the uh, IMSA teams to carry it around in, uh, in their hauler for you. Well, that's not that far away from what I was suggesting, actually. So, because I was oh, looking at cars, there's, and just there's thinking, some oh. furious texting going on in uh, in Thrapston now, John. Don't you dare! <laughs> mm, I'm not. I, I, I may be in. I may be in more trouble than I thought uh, already. Uh, right, or um, that, that's Rensport coming up later on this week, and we'll have some uh, special programs from. I think Thursday, Tim. Is that when we're starting Thursday, or is it Friday? Uh, it depends which continent you're on. Where you are, it will be Thursday, but where I am, it'll be Friday. Ah, right, okay. So, um, that's, uh, right, fine. Um, we'll be talking cars and people um, at Rensport. Um, I've got a track to race to commentate on. No, really. Um, I, I might even record that and send that through uh, as well, because that's going to be a lot of fun, and a lot of people are taking it very seriously. Uh, the drivers have to be in period costume to the age of their tractor, and it will be a Le Mans start. I would buy a brand new tractor that. just because I don't like dressing up in old clothes. Porsche don't make tractors anymore and haven't for quite some time. It has to be a Porsche tractor, obviously. 
Uh, are they are they saying the tractors for the corkscrew? Um, I think it's only part of the lap. Is because that I, I hope hilarious. I hope it's only part of the lap because one of the drivers is Pat Long, who who has a, a Porsche Junior tractor, which is a single cylinder uh, little foot foot, great little thing, and he said. Without the hint, a hint of irony in his voice when I spoke to him about this a couple of weeks ago, he said, uh, yeah, I'm not going to be that quick on the uh, on the straights, but I think I can make it up round the corner because it's got quite a low centre of gravity and it won't tip over as easy as the rest. <laughs> and I'm like, you're taking this rather too seriously, Plongy. I, I tell you, this could be this could be fun. Um, I've already spoken to the guys from the 919 um, Evo, the Langheck. Uh, 919 hybrid. Uh, that car is there, uh, and uh, that car is already in the pit lane. In fact, most of the exhibits and the demonstration cars that are living in the pit lane are already there. I posted some pictures yesterday on Aspectutainment. If you didn't see them, go back through my timeline and have a look. Um, and they are being very they're playing the cards very close to their chest about whether they're going to go for an outright lap record which is what was being talked about earlier on it's a 65 second lap by a formula one car and a demo here and um i am led to believe by people who know such a thing that uh, if that the, or at least the sims say that that is beatable and it's beatable by a considerable margin um in the region of possibly 10, 10, 8 to ten percent, so that would be sub sixty second lap. Which, if that happens, wow. that's going to be extraordinary. That is going to be extraordinary if they go for it. They said, remember, that the team said after the Nordschleife uh, record run, the fastest ever lap of the Nordschleife, um, that they wouldn't try and break any more lap records. But Nick Tandy got exceptionally close at Brands Hatch without having the exact configuration on the car, without having any testing um, beforehand to maximise and optimise everything, and without having the exact set of Michelin tyres that they wanted for that run. So I don't. The answer is I don't know. But you know what? It doesn't really matter because just watching that car go around there is going to be awesome. And that I, I am not kidding you, Nick. I know you're not a massive Porsche file, but there is literally every single. There is a Porsche here for everyone, even if for you. You would find a car that you would like, whether it was old, medium. I, or, I, I like the. I've always liked the RS Spiders. Yeah. Well, there's. I've seen three RS Spiders or four RS Spiders already. F- no, one, two, three, four. Four RS Spiders already, including the test car in all carbon with just the Mobile One livery on it, which looks fabulous. The S6 car, the Casper Elgard, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, Christian Paulson, and who was the other one? Collard, a man with Collard that drove that. That's here. The Van Merkstein car that won LMP2, that that was the purple and silver car, LMP2 at Le Mans by 10 yeah. laps or something like that. Uh, the Dutch car, mm-hmm. that's here. Um, and there's one... And there's a yellow Penske one as well, yes. So that's, I mean, that, there's four of those in various states of, um, and, and I think at least two of those will run here, which is going to be really good. And quite a lot of, even some of the, the cars that have come from the Porsche Museum are going to run. Um, it's extraordinary. And as I say, what hasn't turned up yet are the spectators who will be coming in Porsches. So the 
the car parks are going to be just as worthwhile as uh, as the the paddock. Do any do any of the old uh, Porsche powered the, the little one half liter Porsches from from F1 in the early sixties? They still running, or are they just not existing anymore? Uh, no, um, I'm, I haven't seen the Porsche F1 car yet, and I don't know whether it's here. There's a there's at least one of the Porsche powered Indy cars that's here. I've seen that already. Um, the uh, which let's not forget our colleague uh, on IMSA Radio, Jeremy Shaw, went to the Nurburgring Grand Prix circuit and drove. Had ten or fifteen laps in that in period in the in the Indy car, not the Formula One car. Obviously, that was uh, that that one at Spa, didn't it? The, the the only race that they won at Spa um, was it inspired that car. I, I haven't seen the, the F1 car, but that's a good call. I, I will ask that. And, and most importantly, of course, the um, Sport Turismo S uh, Turbo S uh, E Hybrid is here, which is the uh, fast laps and safety car, um, which has to get to Motul Petit Le Mans in a couple of weeks' time. And I may have got me hand up first to drive that across the country. So that's what I'm doing next week. And we'll have reports on the Radio Show Limited Network with a couple of really interesting. Well, at the moment, I've got three really interesting Porsche stops en route from Laguna Seca to Atlanta. Uh, there's a fourth one that we're trying to put together at the moment, which I'm really looking forward to. Uh, and so I'll listen out for some reports on that next week. And this time next week, if all is going to plan, I will be somewhere en route to Dallas, probably between uh, on the way to Dallas from one of our favourite places in the world, Albuquerque. Albuquerque. <laughs> I don't have the hot key uh, ready. I've realised that. Uh, let's Shall we move on? Yes. Uh, now, the eagle-eyed listeners among you will have heard uh, Nick Damon saying Daniel Kvyat's going to Williams. Yes. No, I said, I said, I didn't say Williams. I said he's going to be confirmed this weekend. I didn't say which team it was, the Toro Rosso. That's, that's people assuming my sentences necessarily run together. Which they always don't. Yes, that's correct. Daniel Kvyat will be confirmed at Toro Rosso this weekend. Mm. Does this mean an end to the speculation about Sebastian Buemi? Uh, um, no, but they're saying that he's got enough on his plate doing other stuff. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's um, well, they, they have a spare seat and um, everyone's scrabbling around. It's pretty, it seems pretty like that Brendan's not going to get retained. So it's now who is going to take the second seat? Now, obviously, Pascal Verlein is now free of his contract with um, uh, Mercedes, so he's up there with a chance so there's a lot of people scrabbling for it but um yeah it'll, it'll be interesting to see obviously dan tickton who hasn't covered himself in glory with his, with his insinuations this weekend this week sorry uh doesn't have enough super license points and he's the next person in the actual junior queue coming up for uh, red bull so they're gonna have to go somewhere else or back up the tree again can we just go through team by team what seats are filled and what seats are available for next year that's a good idea so sure. Ferrari, starting with Hello, Nick. Ferrari. Hello. Yeah, for, oh, right. right, so yeah, we start with Mercedes, which is obviously they have confirmed it's going to be um, uh, Hamilton and Bottas. Ferrari have confirmed it's going to be Vettel and uh, Charles Leclerc. We know it's going to be uh, Pierre Gasly and Max Verstappen at uh, Red Bull. At Renault, it is Hulkenberg and Ricardo at McLaren. It is Sainz and Landau Norris. 
Uh, we now know that Sauber is going to be Raikkonen and Giovinazzi. Um, who else is confirmed? Have I missed any other? Oh, yes. So we don't. So we haven't got a, any confirmations yet for Force India, but everyone believes quite strongly that it will be Perez and uh, Lance Stroll. Uh, we haven't got any confirmations that has, but it seems most likely, again, they will stick with their existing drivers, which is Grosjean and Magnussen. Um, we have no confirmation at all at Williams, and we haven't really even got anyone in the ballpark. They're just throwing checkbooks at uh, Claire at the moment. Um, again, with uh, Toro Rosso, we, we, it's going to be Kvyat and Another, and that's up in the air as well. And have I missed anyone out? I don't think I have. There we Not go. It. Did you say Mercedes? He started yeah. with Mercedes, even oh, though we okay, asked good, him yeah. several times to start with Ferrari. But there we yeah. go. Well, Mercedes are Mercedes are the reigning constructors' champions who start with them. Yes, that's, that's I, I fair understand. enough. Yes. I you know that's a reason, that's a that's a reasonable thing. All right, so can we move on from Formula One now? Yes, let's move on to Formula Three. <laughs> good, good. You're not you're not going to talk about the insinuations that Dan Tickton's making, are you? Uh, I'm not going Ooh. to repeat them. Hmm. Uh, Dan Tinktum is alleging that uh, <laughs> Mick Schumacher's Prima uh, car might have the a, a special engine on it or special engine or map special on map. it. Yeah. Who does Dan yeah, Tinktum uh, drive for? Motorpark. Mm. Um, um, the, the, what the reason for this is that Mick Schumacher. Don't forget, Mick Schumacher dominated pre-season testing in, in Formula 3, or certainly was the standout, then started very slowly um, in the uh, actual championship and then kind of got his act together in Spa, continued having his act together uh, at Silverstone where we all saw him, uh, so he had, I think, two podiums and a fifth or something. And then we also, and then he obviously was clean-swept. Uh, was it Hockenheim he clean-swept or Nürburgring? Nürburgring he clean-swept. And, and now he's won two out of three at the Red Bull Ring to put himself in a pretty strong position with one round to go. Please don't ask me where he is because I forgot his... It's is it Michelle or Masano? I don't know. There we are. It's like one. It's like Italy, but it's in Germany. Um, and effectively, <laughs> this sudden, this sudden uh, resurgence of form has called Dan, who up until the point was, was, was sort of the person in the lead. Though the lead has been shared by a number of drivers earlier in the season. Um, certainly the man coming to Silverstone, who was the favourite, um, to cry that the Premier Power team... Uh, uh, and specifically, Mick Schumacher and his teammate, whose name escapes me, Tim, who is it? Robert Schwartzman, is it? Well, Schwartzman, is that guy's yes. name? Schwartzman. Schwartzman. Have got a special engine, or a special engine mode, which is referred to as the Lance Stroll mode, which apparently he had a special engine when he won as well. Um, and is now saying things like, it's not fair, I'm not called Schumacher, I can see their data, and something's not going right. I have no idea. It sounds unlikely, but in, F, in, in in motor racing, who knows? This is an FIA series. It's a very high-profile FIA series. It's a very well-policed FIA series. Yeah, and also, I mean, let's be honest about this. We've, we've all seen... Effectively, don't forget, effectively, now it's a one-make series. I know it's free chassis, but everyone uses the same, the same car. Mm. Um, but even so, it does mean that because it's F3, you are allowed to do things, things you wouldn't be allowed to do to an F2 car or an F3000 car. But don't forget, even in F3000, which was heavily policed and the spec series, people still found little advantages that were totally legal and gave them a massive, a massive game. Was it Arden who found? Was it a damper thing Arden found for a couple of years, which no one else had? It, it went in cycles. Every time they changed cars, different team... Uh, dominated yeah. so um, from 1996 when it became spec series first of all you had dams and then uh supernova and then arden yeah. being the dominant team 
uh, with very think, few exceptions. Do you think some of this um, rhetoric from young Mr. Tickdom might stem from the fact that he had a pretty horrible weekend and ended up in the barriers um, trying he to go through wide? He podium, though. He, 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 in the, yeah, in the, se- the second race I watched, uh, and he, he, he ended up in the barriers having gone three wide. And uh, I, I'm not sure whose fault it was, but it didn't look very smart from two of the three people. The third person wasn't involved. Um, and it, 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 it was very difficult to tell who turned into whom. Um, but clearly, he wasn't yeah, happy because he yeah. lost a bunch of points. But no, where it seems, okay. where it seems that, sorry, where it seems that the Premier Power team and, and Mick and Robert have particularly got their their act together is in qualifying, and mm. in F three qualifying is as important as in F one. Um, if you actually look in the race, they're not running away with the races. They're not romping away by fifteen seconds for anyone. They're you know second second half up the road. But it's so yeah. important to get it right in qualifying, and there's a lot more to getting it right in qualifying than just an extra six horsepower, whatever it is. You know, it's all about time management and everything else. So I, you know, you kind of wondered, and I, 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 I realistically, I'm not actually sure what good it does Dan to throw this allegation around. He's on a, the problem with Dan is he's on a sticky wicket because because of his, his his history. People are naturally predisposed to think of him as a bit of a, what a better terminology, a bit of an oik. Uh, for an English terminology um, and you know sometimes you need to be more sporty you need to be a bit more kind of like take it on the chin it's not going to affect his career if Schumacher wins it's because he wasn't ever getting to F1 next year he has to do another he has to do another year somewhere in a qualifying series to get the points Red Bull won't care uh, um, they don't care about what the drivers do results wise in, in the junior series they care about how they're performing and that sounds like a, it's a very different thing the result and how you're performing so they're happy with Dan apparently so they'll give him another year somewhere to get enough points and see what happens with the Toro Rossi situation so I don't think he's really helping himself in being clever insinuating things on social media the fact is that Mick Schumacher has got a huge amount of good he's a very talented driver well, you know, is he his father probably not there's a massive amount of goodwill towards the lad as well um, yeah, it's kind of like it's, it's kind of like having a go at the Queen Mother. What's the point? You know, it's it's he's doing he's turned it round. He's, he's winning races. We all want him to do well. You know, it's it's he's in a very difficult situation. I know he's a multi-millionaire. But he's in a very difficult situation personally, and you know, and, and I wish I think we all were in a situation where we wish. When I met him very briefly, he seemed like a really nice, really lovely lad. You know, so the, I, there's know, always it, a thing as well about following in your father's footsteps when your father has made such big footprints across a particular area whether it's business sport motor racing or whatever you know i had a very long conversation uh with damon hill some years ago about you know following his father um coming up in a week or so's time i think during petty le mans week we've got a long one with christian fittipaldi and that was one of the things I asked him about, you know, coming from that dynastic family that he did, you know, how did that affect? It's never easy because you're almost in a no-win situation. And particularly when you name Schumacher, that is absolutely the situation there. So his father and his uncle, a bit like Fittipaldi, both Formula One drivers. Um, and Mick is... He's damned if he doesn't, damned if he doesn't, Nick, you know, because if he's successful, it's like, well, you know, of course, he's had all the advantages of being a Schumacher. If he doesn't win everything at a canter, it's, well, he's not the driver that his dad or his uncle was. I mean, it's it's a 
it's a tough old game. And I think it's, I always think it's very, very brave for people to go into the quote unquote family business. Yeah, and I, you know, it's interesting though. As you look at look at Mick, he's he's actually doing the old fashioned thing, which he's taking two years to do each series, a year to learn and a year yeah. to win. It's got very unfashionable yeah. recently with your Landos and your and your Maxes, but actually that's what everyone used to do. Um, and it used to be no, it was no shame in doing a two year program, but uh, you know, so. Yeah, he, he, obviously Mick's going to move into F2 next year, and then we'll see, because obviously F2 is, is um, completely 100% policed, and there's no, there'll be no um, where to hide there, and, and, and you know, hopefully the, the boy does well. But, you know, I think it's interesting. I mean, he has a very similar situation, I think, to Damon Hill, apart from that he has money and Damon didn't have money, because effectively, sadly, neither of them could ask their father for advice. So, mm, you know, that's it's... A good it's a difficult situation. But anyway, I wish them all the best. I don't wish Dan the ill. I just wish, as with any young sportsman, they think before they go on social media. Uh, well, that's <laughs> good luck with that one. Um, we were talking <laughs> about Boemi earlier on, and thanks to the brilliantly monikered at otter underscore count, at <laughs> otter count, fantastic, uh, for reminding us that uh, Nissan uh, Formula E have confirmed uh, Albon and Boemi as their two drivers. Uh, for yeah. the coming season. So Boemi has at least got something. He's got Toyota till June, at least, if not forever. Yeah. He would have been a very busy boy. Mm-mm. Moving on. Uh, I just want to say one more thing about Tictum, and that is the Helmut Marco effect, because it's at this time of the year that Helmut Marco likes to phone the uh, Red Bull Junior drivers and say... Uh, in this race, you need to achieve this. Oh, good. That 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 explains because that is really helpful uh, to uh, a young driver that they're given a specific target uh, for I, a race. I don't know about you, but I always feel that if he'd been born two hundred years earlier, Helmut Marko would be leading the charge of the Light Brigade. <laughs> okay, let's move on. MotoGP. Yay! Um, Astonished. Did you see it, Nick? I did. I, 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 the only thing is, I, I just like the, he made me fall off and he made me hurt my foot. It's not fair, was my quote from that one. Who said that? Lorenzo. Lorenzo said that Marcus made him fall off and made him hurt his foot. Without actually touching him. Yes, because he was, Marquez was crazy. Went out the went went out so wide, and in his attempt not to not to get involved with with um, uh, Marquez, he went out on the uh, dirty line, gave it too much power, and fell off, and then landed on his foot and hurt it. And he might not be able to race in in Thailand, which obviously would be amusing at the best of times, just because Lorenzo fell off the second first corner of the body. Uh, because those two boys are teammates. Next year, that's a good start, isn't it? Yes, I think already the fractiousness uh, index has gone up uh, a couple of notches there. I've thought, first of all, why don't we race more at um, Aragon? And why aren't we racing, at the, you know, on a weekend where, and we'll come to this in the second half of the programme with Johnny Palmer, on a, on a weekend where um, we couldn't get a race in at Spa despite having to move the start time uh, and the, despite the best efforts of the organizers of ALMS. The the weather at Aragon was fantastic and it's a great place to race and it's a great place to race cars as well. It's a fabulous track. I just love it. We had a 
um, house guest at the weekend who's tested cars there. And all right, it's in the middle of not very much, but there was a good crowd there for MotoGP. Um, and uh, they were saying the facilities are great, the track's great. You can take out that uh, chicane section so that the, it actually the, the long back straight is even longer. That's where they used to do some of their Le Mans aero testing. Um, and it was absolutely fabulous i love that track never been there want to go and want to see some competitive sports car racing there i think it'd be fantastic secondly marquez is an absolute star we talk about um i know he hasn't got the charisma of a rossi um and he's not going to replace rossi in that championship however he does have a following and it's getting bigger. And the, when he rides like he did in that race, with as much as his head as he did his backside and anything else um, that might have been made of steel, the way he managed his tyres better than everybody else, the way he picked his fights like better than everybody else, that was extraordinary. He should not have won that race, and he won that race. It, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was a masterclass from Marquez. And I'm not really a Marquez fan. But I am now. I wasn't. No, I, mean, that I, I, I no. I think Marcus is a brilliant rider. I think you know he's he's his tactics can be a little bit questionable. But then you can probably say about most of the riders. I think he's in he's in a great situation at the moment where he is uh, the total focus of Honda because obviously Pedrosa is leaving and, and and has dropped off the pace. He's not really, you know, if we go if we go three years or four years ago back when you had. You know, Lorenzo is, is pomp and, and Marquez and Rossi prior to that. There was a bat that he is effectively the only person who's able to put together a series. Rossi's riding well, the bike's a pile of rubbish, and Lorenzo is running, you know, hot and cold on half hourly basis. So he's beating Andrea Dovizioso. Now, Andrea Dovizioso is a good rider, but he is not a Lorenzo, a Rossi, or anyone else. So, but you can only beat what's put in front of you, and he is comprehensively beating them, as you say, both um, mentally and pure speed wise so you know there's no asterisks in the record books it's been another world championship fully deserved I just wish the other teams would step up slightly well my point about the weekend and we'll we'll continue this after still to come but I'll make this quick point before uh, the, the half time break is he doesn't need to be winning races he's got a commanding lead in the championship but he hasn't won for a couple or three races he loves Aragon he thinks of it as his home race so he put it on the line and that uh, that that will win him fans that will win him fans there's no doubt about it and and just the way that he went about the whole thing I thought was stunning I, I really did think it was great we'll talk about the dire situation that Yamaha have got themselves into in a few moments um, but let's take the half time break you're listening to Midweek Motorsport on the Radio Show Limited network of channels would you like to hear some of my experimental avant-garde poetry no? ok then it's Midweek Motorsport and still to come Oh, I do like that one. Haven't heard it for a while. Uh, in the second half of the programme tonight, we'll be looking back on a very damp weekend. Johnny Palmer uh, with, I think, webbed feet now. There was so much water at Spa-Francorchamps. He'll be joining us to look back on the ELMS and the Michelin Cup. More of your tweets, please. Very busy tonight on at Specutim. And thank you for all of the points that you've been making uh, so far. And we've got a lot of ground to cover, including a little more from Nick on motorcycles and Tim did promise us some news in Spanish as well. Let's see if we can squeeze that into the second half of tonight's midweek motorsport here on the Radio Show Limited Network of Channels, Series 13, Episode 37. 
Motorsport on RS1. So Nick Damon, our MotoGP and Formula One correspondent, stays with us into the second hour uh, tonight. Good evening if for those of you in Europe. Good afternoon. It's just after one o'clock uh, here on the left-hand coast as I'm getting ready for uh, a very exciting visit to Ren Sport. Already been up to the track uh, a couple of times uh, this week to see things going together and I'll be heading straight back up there after uh, the show. Uh, MotoGP, Yamaha, Going from oh. worse to worse. I mean, they've found it necessary at the end of the last GP to issue a, um, uh, an apology on how bad the the bike is. I mean, the bad is the bike is clearly bad. Um, they got their tactics completely wrong in qualifying. Rossi started off from, um, I, I think, actually another Spanish circuit. He was so far back. He was a harass, yeah. Yeah, 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 it's very good. Um, I mean, where do they go? This, the self-immolation has already started. I, I just, I mean, this season's done for them already. Is there any improvement? Is there any light at the end of the tunnel that isn't just an express train hurtling towards them? Well, it's interesting because obviously um, Maverick Vinales came out with a statement which was very odd for a professional racing driver or racing rider saying he had no expectations and no motivation for the rest of the season. Um which is an odd thing to say. Um, Rossi has made... Mike's awful. You don't say it, though, do you? You don't tell them about their motivation. Alonso does and gets gets applauded for it. Well, by some people. Um... The interesting thing is, is Rossi has started this this underlying statement that we that they need to change the engine configuration to a V4 because obviously the Honda's a V4, the um, uh, Ducati's a V4. I think, but don't quote me. I think the Suzuki's a V4. I could be wrong. But anyway, he th- he he thinks they need to go to V4 configuration. Obviously, has different effects. The gyroscopy effects are different, and that spinning engine is incredibly important to the way a, a motorcycle handles. Um, the rotating mass far more important than in a, in a car. Um, yeah. But, you know, that they are looking at, effectively, they, they appear to have been, what is it, 2015, the last decent bike they had. Um, uh, yeah, or even 16, and they've been, you know, and they just lost their way. Um, and when you got that far behind, it's not, oh, I'll, hang on a second, if I put this widget on the left-hand side, all will be sorted. It's, you know, it, it's as long a way back as the way in which you've fallen behind. So... You know, they have got themselves into a terrible situation where they don't appear to know what to, how to sort the problems out. Um, so it, it is, you know, there doesn't seem to be light at the tunnel. And you kind of think that if with Marquez and Lorenzo at Honda next year, um, you know, against De Vierso and um, Petrucci, it seems distinctly unlikely that there's going to be anything other than a Honda win next year. Um what about uh, Suzuki? Bit of a renaissance for them. Looked like it might have been even a little better. And once they stopped fighting each other, they did have a bit of pace, looked after their tyres as well. It was another, in fairness, it was another tyre um, tire race uh, yeah. in, in terms of, of, of looking after the degradation of the tyre. Marquez did that best, despite the fact that he went for a soft rear. Um, and I think he was the only rider to do that, which was an ex- even more extraordinary what he managed to, to to pull off. But Suzuki will be happy with that in one respect, because they got, uh, what, third and fourth at the end. The bad mm-hmm. news is that third position means they lose their, their waivers for next season. Yeah, they're testing waivers and their their tyre waivers and everything else. But they have to kind of move up. They have to move up at some point. They are a works team. Um 
the thing is, it's, it, I think you know, people think, oh, it's, yeah, there's no air on a motorcycle. It must be really, really easy. It's equally difficult to get these things to work. Um, you know, and if we actually look at Honda, you know, the Mark Marquez is fantastic, but Daniel Pedrosa is an also run. I think he got fifth this week, which is his first time anywhere near the front for weeks. So it's mm-hmm. not always uh, the easiest thing. Um, it is a bit, I mean, my disappointment is not anyway with Marquez. My disappointment is how no one's managed to put together a challenge. And realistically, outside of Jorge Lorenzo, and it sounds very defeated, I can't see it happening next year unless something happens in the Yamaha factory and they decide to have a complete looking time from, from ground A to ground, from, from bolt A to bolt Z and every bolt in between. Because it's not a tickling thing to improve it. It needs a ground up rebuild and that ground up rebuild has to work. Right, okay. Uh, next up uh, with the championship all but won for uh, number 93, Mark Marquez. The MotoGP circus Hi. moves to Thailand. 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 Okay. So um, they'll have a massive crowd there, which would be nice. And uh, Mark Marquez will probably win if he doesn't sweat too much. And if he doesn't win, he'll get enough points to probably secure the title this season. What, he's 67 points ahead, isn't he? 62 points ahead. No, he's 72 points ahead. So he needs to score three points more than Dredd of a video. So he'll, 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 three, yeah, he'll win it if he does score three points more. Um, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. It's Series 13, Episode 37 tonight. Tim Gray is up in London. Nick Damon is in the Carbon Fibre Triangle somewhere near Milton Keynes. Uh, and... I am in California getting ready for Ren Sport and then a cross-country drive to Motul Petit Le Mans for our final uh, IMSA comp- competitive broadcast of <laughs> not broadcast competition that we will be broadcasting because it's not as if we fight over the microphones at all. Um, that, <laughs> well, well, however, well, yeah, well, Nick, Nick's coming along this time, so who knows? Um, however, that's not our final. IMSA broadcast of the year. Oh, no, because out of season this year and to help the some of the classes get used to the new Michelin tyres for 2019, which come in at the roar, of course, uh, Michelin and IMSA have organised a four-hour race at Sebring on the weekend of the 11th of November. Delighted to say that Jeremy Shaw and myself will be down there to cover it for IMSA Radio, and we'll have some streaming video from that as well. There's uh, the Mazda MX-5 Global Series will be there as support as well. And uh, just as basically reminding you about that, but also saying, I think we're going to see some interesting entries to that. We had Brian Herter talking to us uh, here a couple of weeks ago at Laguna Seca uh, about the uh, ongoing uh, programme that he is looking after for Hyundai and their TCR cars. That's likely to be a Veloster-N rather than a i30-N next year, and quite interested in coming into the championship with a couple of those so the opportunity to test race be competitive on the new michelin tires very interesting so uh, the entries are open for that has been for a little while uh, i'm told there's a varied entry of of uh, of cars and teams not all of whom are regulars in the championships it's going to be a, a lmp3 a gt Four, so GS, what is currently GS, um, and also the TCRs 
that will be there. And I think the GT3s as well are allowed to come down for that. So basically all of the, the Pro-Am uh, versions of IMSA racing from there to uh, marquee championships and also the prototypes from the IMSA prototype championship. So looking forward to that later on. And if you are around in Florida, that wouldn't be a bad place to come on the weekend of the 10th and 11th of November. If you can't be there, listen in via IMSA Radio. Um, are we keeping Tim or are we moving on to European-based sports cars? Sorry, are we keeping Nick or are we moving on to European-based sports cars uh, with Johnny next, uh, Tim? We still have a bike story to do. Oh, do we? Excellent. Yes. Uh, because uh, I believe it happened in Bournemouth today. But right. we have a driver announcement in the British Superbike Championship. I'm sure it's a rider. Oh, yes. Rider announcement. God, yes. I haven't heard this. Uh, Glenn Irwin is moving to right. Kawasaki. Oh, okay. oh, wow. So he so will take Leon was... Haslam's bike. Right. A lot uh, of people thought that was going to be Tom Sykes coming back. They from... did, yes. Yeah. And it's not. Coming back from the USB team, yeah. That's interesting. So Glenn Irwin stepping across to Kawasaki. Yeah. Currently uh, Shaky Burns' teammate. Do we, uh, do we know yet if, if Shaky's going to be able to ride again competitively? Uh, we don't, but uh, the last I heard was that he is uh, on a road to a full recovery, so whether or not he decides to uh, race again is a, is another matter. He is obviously... Uh, 42? 42, is he? In his 40s, certainly. Mm, but it's, it's whether it's wise when you've done that amount of damage to, and, you know, incredibly serious accident. Fantastic. He, he does look very well now. He's got, now he's got the, the, the head um, gear off. He looks very good. And he's obviously doing a lot of work on uh, Eurosport in their BSB and World Superbike commentary team. But you kind of wonder if it's wise for him to risk re-breaking or re-damaging some of those parts of his body. That was all. Uh, Nick? He's a, he's a motorcycle rider. Yeah, I know, See, I know. Like I know, I know. Just duty of care of us, of us uh, pit lane people, you see. It's just what they do. Uh, it's broken, yeah. it'll mend. I can get, if I can get back on the bike and twist me right uh, wrist, then <laughs> I can go. In fact, there's some people, of course, who are riding with all kinds of weird and wonderful things. There's one rider who is riding with the brake and the clutch both on the right-hand side. Which I've well, got yeah, no idea how he's doing that. Mick um, Doohan, people... Mick Doohan won sorry, his... sorry, sorry, Mick Doohan won his last three world championships with the rear brake on his on his uh, right thumb because he, his thumb. ankle no longer moved and he couldn't operate the rear brake. And those five hundreds, you needed the rear brake because they had no engine braking. And it was all on his thumb. On his, I think, I think it's on his right hand side. They are just differently wired. They are differently abled and they are differently wired. Anyway, sorry, Tim, move on. Uh, so he's leaving Ducati. He has raced Kawasaki's before. He uh, won the Super Sport title uh, on a uh, Kawasaki, and he's going to be able to uh, test his new bike for the first time in November. Kawasaki seems the bike to be on in British Superbike, as it is in World Superbike as well, if uh, the last couple of runs have been anything to go by. Yes. Uh, they're in action this weekend. They're off to Assen. Everybody's very excited about that. Uh, old pal of mine from my autosport days, Simon Sanderson, who uh, looks after the um, part of the sponsorship. I think it's the Dickie sponsorship for the uh, Bennett's British Superbike Championship, is um, ridiculously excited about going to 
Asen and has been tweeting about it uh, all week. Uh, and it'll be, uh, of course, our, uh, our Curry Cobb will be out there and we'll be able to talk she to her about be. that. Oh, is she not going? She's not going. Oh, no. She was really looking forward to it. She was. Now she's not. Oh. Okay, I'll say no more about that. Uh, okay, moving. Any more bike news? Uh, no more bike news, but we do want to keep Nick Damon for this. Yes, it's uh, time to talk about movies. Okay, I didn't know there were any car movies out. Tell us which one you're talking about. Uh, Born Racer. Uh, right. This is the Scott Dixon. This yeah. is the Scott Dixon movie. Had its premiere last night, I think. Was it yeah. the night before? Should we have, should we uh, take a listen to a taste of it? Yes, go on. Hours before the race, I've already switched off. Totally focused and thinking about only racing and just winning. You know, that's what it's all about. But there's so much more going on. At Indy speeds, you know, literally a football field every second. The cars are inches apart. Every time you get into that car, you don't know if you're going to come out. We had a little brake issue with Evil Knievel down there. <laughs> it's easy to say you pursue winning, but winning doesn't happen all the time. Not a great stop for Scott Dixon. Unless he's going really fast. He doesn't feel alive. I'd like everybody to focus on one thing. And one thing only, winning this race. I've never seen it this competitive in IndyCar. So if you can't win, be second. If you can't be second, be third. You never give up. Hell yeah! We live to race. Everything else comes around that. We love each other. We support each other. It's like a drug addiction. You can't stop. Uh, it's got all of the uh, all of the constituent parts there, hasn't it? Uh, big engine noises. Clearly, that was the trailer. So uh, the, the audio from the trailer. There was clearly a few big crashes there. Overly dramatic music. Talking heads. Bit of behind the scenes of the drivers meeting. I recognised uh, some of the voices there. I'm sure you all did. Bit um, of commentary as well. Bit of commentary, yeah, from the TV guys. Um, yeah, they're also overegging the danger. Yes. Well, it, you don't really have to in IndyCar, do you? Let's, no, in oh, fact, sorry, in, uh, yeah, sadly, that's a good point. Yeah. Yes. Um. Um. You know, it, it, it's Scott Dixon is an extraordinary character. Scott and Emma Dixon are, are, are extraordinary people, and um. By all accounts, it's a great movie um, that focuses in on Scott's 18 years in in IndyCar. 
we've said this before, and Jeremy and I were talking about it as recently as last week on this programme, that that kind of uh, longevity in any sport, but particularly in, in motor racing, is, is extraordinary. It's perhaps not quite as extraordinary in IndyCar, where people's careers tend to go on for a bit longer, but even so, it's been brilliant. Um, everybody says it's a great movie. Um, I'm not sure if it's getting a full British... UK or global release, uh, Tim, but it is going to be available for download sometime in October, I believe. Uh, yes, and uh, as you mentioned, the premiere was last night uh, in Indianapolis, and uh, on the red carpet, uh, Scott and Emma were asked if they were excited uh, about the uh, about watching the final version of the film. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's. Uh, I think for us, it's been a lot of talking about it for a long time. So it's actually really cool to be here tonight, and and uh, hugely thankful for all the support and everybody's effort. You know, going into this, it's, it was no easy feat. But um, especially IndyCar, with all the access that they granted, uh, Universal and and uh, you know across those boards. But um, yeah, I'm excited to see. It. I've only seen the first edit, so this is like edit number ten, I think. So uh, I'm excited to, to see some of the changes that, that uh, we've been talking about, and, and uh, I hope everybody uh, hope everybody really enjoys it. Emma, what do you think? Excited? I'm excited. I'm really excited. Like Scott said, you know, it's been a long time coming. We, you know, we had the crew with us for so long, and there was many days we were like, oh my gosh, why do they need to film breakfast number 210? But, you know, so a lot got left on the, you know, the cutting floor. But again, you know, they had sole right to the edit, so it's their film as well. It very much is their story, and I'm really excited for everyone to see it. You know, we love IndyCar. Um, we're very passionate about the sport, and I'm hoping that everyone will get to see you know, how exciting it really is. Uh, and couldn't happen to a nicer set of people. It's another major studio getting involved in motor racing, and you know, Universal haven't gone about this uh, as half a job, uh, as you heard, the, the access that IndyCar has 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 granted them and uh, it's been a, a long time in the making uh, this and i think it's good for the sport it's good for all parts of motorsport we've got sports cars with the art of racing in the rain patrick dempsey's movie which is also backed by uh, a big studio is that is that universal as, as well I'm not sure if it's Universal that's doing, but certainly another one of the big studios. In fact, actually, I was just talking to somebody yesterday who was telling me that uh, Road Atlanta had been transformed into uh, Le Mans for a bit of uh, the art of racing in the rain. So can't wait to see that when it comes out. I, I, Nick, I think it's good for the sport, don't you? Yeah, I can't hurt. No publicity is bad. Well, in these sort of um, documentaries, are great. I mean, I think it's uh, you know, it's a uh, yeah that that train is a little bit kind of. Buzzy, but I'm sure it's a, it's a very solid subject, and I'm sure they've got the right access. They do it very well. The only thing I do think is we had this lovely idea, of course, of um, all the stuff they don't use ending up on the cutting room floor when it's just sitting someone else's hard drive somewhere. There is no <laughs> floor anymore. There's no floor of the cutting room. Well, it probably is. So everybody would fall down to the next There's office below. No hard drives anymore. It'll all be in a cloud. Well, I wouldn't trust my stuff on the cloud. It's all no. ones and zeros in a cloud. Mm. Mm. Uh, moving That's on. The film gone. <laughs> yeah, straight away. Uh, no, really, it was on this... celluloid. Yeah, I was going to say, sometimes they do still shoot on celluloid. Well, so no, there actually no. is somebody cutting it. Um, are, we, are we moving on? Are we saying goodbye to Nick? What's happening next, please? Uh, 
Let me see what else we've got. We've done that story. We've done that story now. We've Excellent. done that story. Oh, that story is brilliant. I love that story. Have we done this That one? story was That's one for Johnny Palmer. That's probably one for Johnny Palmer as well. I think we've probably done with Nick Damon. I should go. I should all right, go into and uh, have a have a lem sip then. <laughs> yes. Uh, can we can we rely on you for next week, Nick? Particularly I, as I'm I am, I am intending on recovering massively. And there's right. a Grand Prix okay. to talk about, so I will be enthused Ooh, yes. by Grand Prix. There's a Grand Prix. Oh, yes. Sochi this weekend, isn't there? Tell it tell us who's going to win. Uh, I think that see, I I do think the pendulum has swum, but I also think this. This is the one, of the one of the circuits where Ferrari do have an in, in, in intrinsic advantage. So I'm going to say that the winner is going to be Kimi Raikkonen, Lewis Hamilton, because that really, really annoy Fettel. That will annoy Fettel more than if Hamilton wins. <laughs> I'm going to go for Verstappen, Lewis Hamilton. Oh, that's very brave. Well, it, it, it's going to annoy. Uh, here's my prediction. If Raikkonen wins, it'll annoy Vettel so much that he'll leave Ferrari and go to Williams. We well, could probably buy Williams. Not there for sale, bro. <laughs> no, for indeed sale. not. And, uh, clearly, I was uh, only... The tongue was firmly in the cheek for that. Uh, so, Sochi at the weekend, is it? Yes. Yep. Okay. Good. Thank you for reminding me of that. Uh, I'll have to work out the time differences and yes. work out how much... Of that, uh, and I have just been told on the chat by the uh, responsible adult. It is Universal that is doing uh, uh, the art of racing in the rain. So big up Universal as the big studio who are investing in good motor racing documentaries and or movies and at the who moment. Owns Universal. Oh, I don't know who does. Comcast and who owns NBC Sports Network, which shows both IndyCar and next season uh, IMSA. Uh, that would be Comcast. It would be. And they've Ooh. just bought Sky as well, haven't they? Uh, in the UK. They, they currently have 40% of it, and they're gradually increasing. Yes, and that's the, the, their buyout has been approved by the current board, and uh, that will likely go through. So, uh, Thank you very much, Nick. Speak to you next week. Bye. Cheers, bye. Uh, Nick Damon then uh, joining us from somewhere in the carbon fibre triangle. Close to Milton Keynes. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport. It's Series 13, Episode 37. Uh, I'm on the line from Monterey, or near to Monterey, California. I'm actually in a little place called Seaside. And guess what? Yes, you can see the sea, although I'm on the wrong side of the holiday in here to be able to do that. Let's have a look at a couple can of you see tweets. Any sea otters? No, no sea otters have been seen yet, which is a bit disappointing for me because I'm a big otter fan. Very big otter fan. Um, I saw some Matthew... in Seattle, which surprised me. Oh, I didn't good. think they'd go that far north, but they do. Uh, no, they do. Um, Matthew Hindman has uh, supplied me with the following piece of information by uh, tweeting at Speculatement. It says, Born racers would seem to be released in the UK on the 19th of November, with Amazon taking pre-order on DVD for release in November. Thank you for that. Do people still uh, use DVDs? I still use DVDs, certainly. Let's move on um, to some calendar I, news. Oh, oh you do like... News. No, no, go on. You do like a bit of calendar news. Because uh, the calendar was announced at the weekend. 
uh, for the 2019 European Le Mans Series and Michelin Le Mans Cup. And yes. uh, much to the disappointment of uh, our next correspondent, Johnny Palmer, he won't be going back to Austria. I won't, sadly, no. And uh, to quote a phrase that Graham Goodwin uttered at the weekend, we're trading schnitzel for paella because replacing Red Bull Ring in 2019, it will be Circuit de Barcelona, uh, Catalonia. And we were there, of course, uh, a little team from the Radio Show Limited Network just a few weeks ago to, I mean, it's a great circuit and the drivers love it. So, I, you know, it's, I, I can understand the decision. Uh, it's arguably a little bit less picturesque. Only this time we might get a visit to Monduic Park, which we didn't do yes. uh, a few weeks ago. And yeah, that fits in as the July date. So the next race after Le Mans. Of course, Le Mans isn't an ELMS race, but there are many teams taking part at that event. Johnny, you've got to go up to the Olympic Park in Mount Jurich. It is a fabulous, fabulous day out. Joe Bradley and I went there for an hour a couple of years ago as part of our odyssey in the Alpha Giulietta that we drove to Nürburgring and then down to Barcelona and then back home again, taking as many racetracks as we could. We, we went to go for an hour and I reckon we must have been there nearly five. And we walked around all of the old circuits. We did the Olympic Stadium. It was absolutely fantastic. There's also a very unusual racetrack just south of Barcelona, which actually isn't open to the public, but is a big um, concrete oval set into the ground. And a few years ago, Audi and Red Bull had... uh, Carlos Sainz um, drive an R8 around there and set ridiculous lap records with the concrete breaking up in places. Phenomenal. It's just, if you look at it on Google Maps or um, uh, on any of those type of things, it just looks like a spaceship's landed. And it's been there since the 1930s. Um, we couldn't. We didn't have time to get down to it because we spent too much time at Montjuic, uh, and it's it's not actually open to the public. But it, it's uh, it's another thing that's absolutely worth going to see. But make sure if you're going to go up onto um, the Olympic Park that you download a whole load of pictures from racing there, and then go and stand in the places where the pictures were taken because you can do. It's fantastic. Really worth a run up there. Brilliant stuff. We'll, we'll we'll bear that in mind. I mean, I've seen you know uh, the odd bit of footage here and there of the last few races. I mean, sadly, Grand Prix memories of that place not very good at all. I think it was 1975 where five spectators died, and that was basically the end of the Grand Prix track. But uh, yeah. the long distance racing and history of that place goes down, goes back to the mid 50s. So uh, yeah, we're going somewhere right. where the Le Mans series hasn't been since 2009 and that was a six hour race. So it's nice to have ELMS going back to Spain. I do think Red Bull's a miss just because from yeah. a spectator point of view, you can, you know, you sit at the bottom of that track in one of the grandstands, you can virtually see the whole of the circuit along the hillside yeah. there. Um, so it might only be a few years away, and I like—I do like the fact that we're adding circuits here and there. And obviously, if you add one, you might—you know, have to, to generally take one away. Um, but it keeps things fluid, and there are no other changes. So again, we kick off at Paul Ricard in April, and that's at the end of a mammoth test ten days, probably with the World Endurance Championship cars expected there as well, I believe. Um, and then Monza in Italy, the May date followed by Spain, Silverstone, obviously with the WEC at the end of August, start of September, and then Spa and uh, Portimao to finish, just like this year. 
You, you make a good point there. Will the WEC cars go at the prologue because they're actually in the middle of a season, not That's at the start sort of the season? The thought I had partway through that sentence, yes. I don't know. <laughs> hmm. There okay. are separate That's prologues for both the LMS and MLMC. On, uh, so one of them is Monday, Tuesday, and one of them is Wednesday. But whether yeah, or yes, not yeah. there's a Saturday, Sunday WEC one, I don't know. Um, it'll be. I tell you one thing. It'll be hotter than Hades in uh, Barcelona in uh, the dates that they're talking about. So that that'll be very interesting. And it's. Um, I suppose it's not quite in the right in the middle of the of the main tourist season. So hotels um, should uh, be able to be found. You could always nip up to the Costa Costa Brava from there and uh, have a bit of a seaside haul while you were while you were there as well has Um, a lot of hotel capacity and the circuit's really easy to get to uh, from the center of uh, barcelona on the train so only if the railway station is open and it isn't open all the time is it not that's interesting no i no i've I've been there on the most obscure single seater test days and found it open Mm. i wonder if unlike at valencia where sometimes the station doesn't open Quite I wonder often. if it's a, a seasonal thing because the times that we've been there, it hasn't. The trains haven't stopped there. But anyway, that's that's by the by. Montmelo is close enough with some nice little hotels uh, there as well. And as I say, you've got the Costa Brava not too far uh, away with all of its uh, hotel capacity. Uh, talking about sunshine there for that new event, that was uh, sadly in short supply at the weekend at Spa Franc Uh Despite the best efforts, Johnny, of the the organisers of the ELMS didn't manage to get a full race in on, on Sunday. We didn't. Monday was a beautiful day. If only we <laughs> could have done a swap, because uh, travelling back, we were in bright sunshine. But yeah, Sunday was always going to be the worst of the three days. We did manage to squeeze in a two-hour Michelin Le Mans Cup race on Saturday, which started dry and then went into the wet. So that was fascinating from a strategy point of view, because there should be a 10 minute window in the middle of that race, 55 minutes to 65 minutes before you stop, where you change, certainly change driver. Some teams would change tyres as well in a dry race. Some teams were already three pit stops in by that point, uh, flip-flopping between, you know, just literally chasing the track and one or two did go a little bit too early. So that was fun to watch and a great result for Ikuria Cost-Nielsen with their first one-two over the season. Mm. We also had championships decided in that as well. We'll chat more about that in a second. But yes, your suggestion on on, uh, Sunday is that despite bringing the race forward by an hour and 45 minutes, it was due for a 12.30 start. We ended up kicking off at 10.45 and we got two hours into it and we'd already had a succession of safety cars because of incidents. Well, the the last safety car was deployed because it was so wet and cars were aquaplaning off at ridiculously slow speeds. And eventually Eduardo Freitas had the inevitable decision to make, which was it's just not safe for people to be out there now uh, wanting oars rather than wheels. And uh, that was it, sadly. And we didn't get to the three-quarter mark, which the 75% marker, which would have gleaned full championship points so only half points awarded um g drive the pizzatola jean-eric verne roman rusinov car who had been championship leaders going into the road they were having a nightmare or i mean mm. pizzatola ran off the road a couple of times down at uh, campus corner um thinking the grip was there because it had been two laps ago and it just wasn't and he made the mistake again the very next lap so they scored the grand total of a quarter of a point from the race but <laughs> 
because everybody else only scored half points, that took a load of points that were potentially on the table for people to catch up to them. They were gone. And consequently, G-Drive win the championship because everybody else just doesn't have enough points available now. I have to say, um, I thought that Eduardo and his team did uh, absolutely the right thing and the organisers did absolutely the right thing. What I hate, and I've seen this happen before, is where you're waiting and waiting and waiting for a decision or where everybody's out following the safety cars for lap after lap after lap and either you don't get racing or you do a lap and somebody falls off again. You know, Eduardo made, as you say, a difficult decision, but I I think the fact that the decision was made, you can't really criticise them one way or or another. It didn't look very pleasant. It wasn't going to get any better. So let's bite the bullet, pack everything up and all get our feet dry and go home. I, I think that's eminently sensible. Yeah, I so do I. I mean, the officials in certain circumstances are damned if they do and damned if they don't. They're not, uh, you know, they're not soothsayers. You can't predict the way, particularly at Spa. It's so difficult to track weather systems because they turn left at the very last moment. Um, but I think they've learned from, we had a very wet Le Mans, didn't we, two or three years ago, and that was started behind the safety car. And then the question was asked, right, when do we actually get going here? Um, it was only four laps in the ELMS race. We started behind the safety car. So what was to be the first green flag lap actually turned out to be the start of the race. And by lap five, they were at full speed or as, you know, as fast as you can go in the rain. So that was good. There was no delay there. And, and you've got to be seen to be active uh, and, and reactive as well to potential bad weather. So, yeah, bring the race forward. But you can't start at nine o'clock because there are fans as well that, you know, want to obviously get there in a reasonable time. They've maybe got distances to travel. The autograph session had to be booted out of the schedule. There wasn't room for that. But at least there was a grid walk and the grid walk is available to every member of the public, incredibly. And uh, that is, you know, you have to pay 10 euro to get into the paddock. But other grandstands and other area viewing areas around Spa are free of charge. So, you can't knock the accessibility of the ELMS and its ability to to react to to very poor weather. It doesn't happen very often. I mean, that's the first time we've had a half points race. I think since twenty, certainly since in the modern era of ELMS since twenty twelve. Uh, so yeah, they they have done all that they needed to do, and eventually nature just was the winner by two hours in. Uh- the the question that will be asked, and we might well be asking this question again next month at Fuji, is uh, is this the right time to go to places like Spa and subsequently Fuji, where the weather is often inclement and can cause problems? As I was saying earlier on, you know, had had you been at Aragon at the weekend, you'd have had a lovely day uh, to to have your motor race. Uh, and is that something that those that make the calendar should be considering? I don't think rain particularly uh, is known in Spa only in September. I mean, it can rain there <laughs> every month of the year. I mean, Fuji, yes, you've got more of a point there because, you know, that that is there is a monsoon season that historically can be traced and you want to try and avoid that. But, um, I mean, this was just heavy. It, it, it was uh, The other problem was there was no wind. So that wasn't taking the weather away. It was just sitting over Spa and did so for all day. I mean, it, it ran for it rained for hours afterwards as well. Uh, so it wasn't even as if they, they, they could have squeezed a couple of hours racing in at the end of the day. I mean, that was pretty much the schedule done with. Um, but we might have had that weather in May, in June. 
yeah, you just you have to pick you have to pick a day and spa i mean spas that's a, a very busy circuit there were there were uh, trailers queuing um on sunday night to get in for a monday test day i think and you know finding a window which happily sits around everything else is tough in itself at, at such a busy track you mentioned that J-Drive have won their championship. Uh, are there championships still to be decided at the final round, Johnny, or was there anything else they decided? Are. Uh, in ELMS, no, we've still got LMP3 and GTE up for grabs, and I've done the calculations. Still got 26 points on offer, 25 for the win, and a point for pole. And we got five LMP3 teams still potentially to win. Wow. And the same in GTE. And when you consider, you know, we've we've only had six uh, kind of mainstay cars. The odd two have, we had a couple of extra at Paul Ricard, but the, 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 the kind of main movers and shakers, five of those six are all mathematically in with a chance of winning at Portimao as well. It's only the Tracy Crone Ferrari, uh, which is too far back. So you're talking both Proton competition Porsches. Sadly, the 77 very badly damaged in the Spa race, uh, for which Christian Reed was apoplectic because he was he was nerfed by Jean-Éric Verne in the braking area for the bust-up chicane and then came back on the track and collected one of the APR cars. So that was a badly damaged Porsche. Did pick up a few points. So both those Porsches, the JMW Motorsport Ferrari, uh, together with the Spirit of Race Ferrari and the EB Motors Porsche, that was that they were uh, winners on Sunday for the first time this season, which was good to see uh and then in lmp3 we've got rlr 360 racing both british squads and united autosports another british squad uh euro international dropped a few points the italian stroke american outfit and then into europol competition which i mean that would be a huge story if they could come from mm. a long long way back the team the little team uh, that is polish flag there's a lot of German mechanics together with one German driver in that as well and into Europol competition. I mean, maybe for the top three, I think, I think a championship is too much for them to ask right now. Uh, you mentioned the uh, Michelin Cup. Uh, that was uh, at least partially decided on the Saturday in their two hours. Yes, uh, one more race to go, but actually the uh, positions in the championship seal it for DKR engineering for a second year running. Um, oh. Some may remember that Jean Gloria and Alex Torrell were dominant in last year's championship. So they took it in 17 and have also taken it in 2018 with the brilliantly named Leonard Hugenboom and Jens mm. Pettersson. Uh, who, I mean, Pettersson had the stint where he was on slick tires and it started raining. And for a bronze driver, that was so tough. And he had a couple of very, uh, worrying moments where they were, I mean, there were spins and thankfully he kept it out of the barrier. And then Hugenboom was very impressive to come home. I think it was third in the race, but that was enough. Yes, it was third in the race and that was enough to put them way ahead of everybody else. So they are championship winners. Um, great for Colin Noble and Alistair McCaig to take a first victory yes. of the season uh, because they, I mean, some might say they were hard done to in the Red Bull Ring race. I thought it was good, hard, fair racing, but Hugenboom went for a move at Red Bull Ring up the inside of Noble, and Noble was just a bit too late to defend it, and it resulted in Noble finishing second with his teammate McKay. Faces like thunder on that podium, well, complete reverse, uh, what, two, three months later. So it's good for them to get uh, championship points, and they are now a clear second. In GT3, where there's actually a bit more on offer, because this gives you a place at Le Mans next year, Kessel Racing were victorious with their driver, Sergio Pianazzola, uh, former rally driver. And I think those skills came in very useful in a uh, part wet track on Saturday with Giacomo Pacini. 
uh, and they are now too far in front with this unassailable lead. So Kessel Racing going to Le Mans, uh, and I reckon for the first time. Now, Graham Goodwin thinks Kessel have been there in the past, maybe preparing a team that has been under a different banner. Yeah, I but think Kessel Racing have never had their door, their name above the door. So that's yeah. really special for the Swiss squad. And uh, Loris Kessel no longer with us, but great to have uh, his his name still very much at large within that team. Uh, and that is a that's a real boost for what is uh, quite a small and delicately funded team, shall we shall we say? Um, some of the big headlines made at the weekend by cars that weren't competing. Uh, we've seen. Uh, a zero emissions lap of the Nürburgring Nordschleife by Aston Martin on hydrogen with the the four-door race car a, a few years ago, the Rapide. Uh, but now we've got a totally hydrogen-powered car that is this H24 concept that the ACO are getting right behind. And uh, that was out on, on track over the weekend. And Many people, I'm sure, will have seen pictures of uh, the principals, including Pierre Fillon, the man at the head of the ACO, uh, drinking the byproduct of those laps, which, of course, is merely water. My uh, link into the story would have been so much better than that. Oh, OK, what would you have said? If we deoxygenate all the rain that was at uh, Spa, we get hydrogen, and that was uh, what was fueling the car that uh, did a lap with uh, Yannick Dalmas behind the wheel on Saturday. Or something similar. Yannick Dalmas, of course, is one of the safety car drivers and the driver uh, standards uh, uh, commissioner for for uh, the ACO. Um, big, if you'll pardon the pun, uh, Johnny, a big splash made about that um, at the at the weekend. But it's actually quite an important technology, and people like BMW have been championing it for for quite a long time. Yeah, and it's exciting. I mean, to, to, you know, like you say, zero emissions uh it seems to take next to no time to fuel the car as well and um we saw it i think it was on friday that we were arriving at the track and this thing was shooting around and none of us had a clue what it was although we knew that the h24 announcement was due uh this weekend so um it as you say emits pure water which was providing uh, great refreshment for the aco officials and they haven't yet said where this car is going to go next. I mean, it might be yes. that it's a, an idea for Garage 56, which is the, you know, testing new technologies. Um, and we've had the the Delta Wing as part of that and uh, various other different types of cars. Um, so, yeah, it, it makes a little bit of noise, but that's more of a sort of, um, I don't know what how you would describe it, kind of dynamo type sound, really. Uh, obviously, no engine making a noise, but it, it goes at a fair rate of knots once it got working because they did have a few nerve-wracking laps when uh, actually the thing conked out partway round uh, what was meant to be its first quick run and they had to get it back to the garage. But that was actually a relatively quick fix. It was slightly embarrassing with uh, many, many cameras trained on the car. But uh, eventually it got going. And as you say, Yannick Dalmas doing the driving. It's based on an, a DES chassis, is my understanding. Mm. And uh, yes. It could be the start of something great. I mean, this technology works in public transport. I know that uh, some of the London buses on the uh, very city centre routes are powered by hydrogen cells, and I'm sure that's the case worldwide too. So you can get a great deal of power out of this technology with absolutely no carbon footprint, it seems. I mean, that's on uh, the emissions. I don't know what actually goes into it to make the stuff well, the first time around, you know. 
Yeah, good. That's that's a good point. Uh, the the car I think is due to be at Le Mans in some shape or form by twenty twenty four, which is another reason for the H twenty four moniker. Well, yes, that's that's what they're saying. Um, so, so what you're saying that's that isn't a internal combustion engine powered by hydrogen. That's a fuel cell generating electricity, which then powers electric motors. Johnny, is it? I don't know for sure. And to be honest, the technology, uh, the, the the true technology, wasn't on the press release to be able to kind of, you know, really get under the skin of this. But it, I could hear no engine on the little bits that I heard it going round. Uh, there was no power unit as such it was it sounded electrical as you say so yeah there will have been a power unit but but uh electrical rather than uh any spark as such any um internal combustion engine so i don't know uh, it, it, yes i would think it's it's it sounded a bit like a former e-car but much more throaty and therefore more attractive to me frankly because they, they sounded less like rc cars it sounded like a less like less like an rc car uh, a, 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 a fabulous initiative, and as I say, very uh, important and interesting to certain manufacturers, particularly BMW, have been pushing for that technology for uh, quite some time. And a, a degree of optimism in the ELMS paddock with uh, a number of announcements uh, and various bits and pieces coming through of new teams, teams moving up, uh, extra entries for next year. I mean, it really is going from strength to strength. The junior category, the 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 regional ACO series, if you if you put it that way, against the worldwide juggernaut that is the the WEC, it all seems to be going swimmingly well. Yeah, and I think part of that is the fact that WEC is now a winter championship, so there are fewer races in the summer, and therefore drivers looking for opportunities, teams looking to get out there That's and race point. as well. And uh, th- there's now a window in the, the summer part of the season, obviously Le Mans. I mean, that perfectly sits within the season because there's no race in the ELMS in June deliberately. Um, but yeah, there are announcements of RLRM Sport who are at the moment on course for a very good result in LMP3 in the ELMS. They, as from what we read, have acquired uh, an LMP2 Orica. So they'll be making the step up uh, into Europol competition. Uh, again, have gone from one car in LMP3 to two cars and now have acquired a Ligier. And there is this natural stepping stone system. Um, and that, that can be dovetailed sometimes with, with a world endurance championship campaign with a, uh, Asian Le Mans series campaign, if necessary. And, and Zach Brown, who was there at the weekend chatting about United Autosports and their long-term uh, focus has become, we understand the WEC now, um, maybe not, well, he'd be talking season nineteen twenty, uh, so it's a little way off yet. Yeah? I mean, just about a year for them to to get things in place, and they're only murmurings right now. But they're excited to maybe take United Autosports uh, around the globe rather than within this European Championship. So yeah, it is clear, clear progress every year. Two for United in WEC. He didn't say. He didn't say, mm. and uh, could they walk you across would think the road so, and buy a car? <laughs> Good point to Janetta. Maybe um, that might be the answer to many people's problems. Uh, I think as a first step, they would go P2 um, because they know the car and are far, far less less expensive, obviously. Um, but yeah, LMP1 would be very exciting. They'd need to build their own car, wouldn't they, or or at least buy a Janetta. 
I, I do like I do like the the feel of the ELMS at the moment. Uh, I was watching and listening to uh, you and Graham do your stuff at the weekend in between um, immersing myself in MotoGP and various other bits and pieces that was that was going on at the weekend. Uh, as I said before, there's a there's a real uh, atmosphere of uh, it's almost a contented atmosphere. Not very many people complaining about things, people being very upbeat, all these uh, people wanting to move on. It's really found its own place now. I mean, we talked about and, and you talked about it there, you know, being a stepping stone potentially to the WEC. But it doesn't have to be that. That it is, It's got its own. It's got its own character now. It's got its own personality. Yeah, and that stretches back to the Le Mans series days when you did have LMP1s as a European championship and that was considered to be a huge thing. Okay, it's been stripped of LMP1, but P2 provides a tremendous uh, tremendous competition. We had 16 cars again and we have had as many as 18 or 19 through the course of the year uh, when you consider that's grown from, uh, what, in the early part of this decade we had, 10 or so and i remember you know, obviously i mean many people talk about donington park in 2012 that was sort of an exception because the wc and the mm-hmm. lms had just split apart uh but uh, 16 is by far the biggest amount we've had in the last three seasons let's say um you don't need to go any further quite right and many people uh the silver drivers the bronze drivers they don't want to do any more racing because they've got businesses to run they've got the day-to-day affairs to worry about back at home uh, one race per month is about right uh, which yeah. it is, you know, April through to October, insert Le Mans. So that's seven big occasions. And I don't think anybody wants any more racing. There was chat that we no, might get a seventh race in this new calendar, but I don't think it needed it. And so it proved. Um, and the the other good thing is we've got Michelin Le Mans Cup now. So that is another rung on the ladder. I still think we're suffering for GT cars and that yeah. needs to grow in both Michelin Le Mans Cup and in European Le Mans series six for the season isn't enough it'd be far better to have 10 GTE cars and a bit more variety in terms of manufacturer because in ELMS it's just Porsche versus Ferrari um, and on single lap speed you get the impression that maybe the balance of performance isn't quite right although Ferraris are a little better on their fuel uh, yes. uh, on their fuel um, capacity and can eke out an extra lap so that makes the races very interesting. You know, we get a lot of damn faces at the end of qualifying from all the Ferrari drivers, and then they think, oh, it's not so bad. Come the race. Uh, GT3 is a massive area, and we again had six cars, I think it was, in the Michelin Le Mans Cup, yep. and that, that does that. need addressing. I, I, I mean, part of that, obviously, one of the things that I don't understand about um, the, the GT categories is that there are so many GT3 cars out there. Why don't we get more of them? But you can't take a GT3 car to Le Mans. Um, so why aren't we getting more GTE cars in the LMS if you're racing for uh, a coveted Le Mans invitation? I, I do think that's a bit of a conundrum, and I'm, I'm not sure how to address that. You can't say that about G, uh, LMP3. That's gone from strength to strength to completely bonkers. Important time coming up for LMP3, Johnny, with the, the next set of regulations coming through for that and the next generation of LMP3 cars and some clarity coming now about potential for engine supply and taking that category on to maintain its uh, re- maintain its competitiveness uh, and uh, its uh, uh, development. Yes, and this is going to take a bit of time from what I understand to actually 
move from one uh, era of LMP3 into the next because, I mean, the biggest issue is that Nissan aren't making the 5-litre V8 anymore. So, um, but the problem is that the new power unit isn't yet available for everybody uh, that wants it. So there's going to have to be this bit in between where you are permitted to use the old engine, but there's going to be some sort of equalization of performance, BOP, in other words. Uh, and that's going to be, I don't know, we have to wait and see how that all unravels. But um, th- th- there is a new engine that's being built. There's uh, a new gearbox as well, because I think it needs slightly different ratios because of differences in torque. Um, and it's good to have new cars on the way because the Ligier versus Norma battle has been interesting. The Ligier LMP3 car is a little bit long in the tooth now. It seems strange saying mm. that about a car that only came in, I think, in 2015 or 16. So we've not been around for that long, but that's how quick motorsport moves. Again, it would be nice to have a third manufacturer in LMP3 to make it uh, even more unpredictable. But um, as long as they get this this bridge section right, uh, between yeah. the cars that are currently on the grid and then the newer ones. And obviously there is a slight, I think, su- just supply and demand imbalance. And once we've ridden that, we should be okay coming out the other side. Uh, what what I didn't understand from what I saw on the press releases, are we having another round of tenders for chassis manufacturers or will the current chassis continue um and how easy or difficult will it be to replace the the engines um from one manufacturer that gibson uh the the gibson nissan v8 uh with whatever is chosen for for the new engine and does that does that necessarily mean people have to change chassis i didn't kind of get that detail from the releases there was a lot of people scratching their heads in the LMP3 paddock as well. Uh, I don't think it's been made <laughs> okay. brilliantly clear. Uh, <laughs> absolutely not. Um, I think they might have gone back up to for tender, but we've got no new names. So uh, it is basically the same choice that LMP3 runners have had before. So I, I see no radical departure from, from Ligier and Norma. Um, Ades have had a chassis, I think, but generally not many takers for it in the field. Uh, and then, as you say, it is a question of whether you keep with the older engine and gearbox purely because you can't get I mean, it, it is a first-come, first-serve thing. Um, but I do know that if you're wanting to run the new engine, you will have to get a new gearbox or at least you'll be given replacement ratios for the old gearbox, which sit in the same casing, I understand. Um, right. But all of this was made slightly clearer at Spa. But I know that, I mean, chatting to some of the guys at Brookspeed, for example, um, they learned a lot from a meeting on Thursday or Friday, I think it was, with the ACO. They need even more information to be 100% sure what direction they're going to go. And I think everybody else is very very similarly in the same boat. And it's really important that this is done correctly because the LMP3 has been a massive success story for the ACO since it was... Uh, tentatively first introduced and remember it was all the Ginettas that turned up at the first race at at Silverstone it was only Ginetta who had the car sadly they're not involved anymore after a bit of a falling out with uh, Orica and the powers that be Um, the momentum is very much on the side of LMP3 and neither the ACOs or the um, the ACO or the uh, or the Teams will want that to be to be deadened in this in this period. 
Correct. Yeah. I mean, it is fantastic, fantastic momentum and nobody wants that to be broken right now. So, um, yeah, the officials have got to tread very, very carefully here uh, because the categories incredibly successful, both in ELMS and in the Michelin Le Mans Cup. We have two great races as part of the road to Le Mans, of course, as well. Um, so, yeah, it's a time for caution. It's a time for communi- communication as well. Make sure that everybody is valued in that championship and they you know they that's where they need to be careful about uh making sure that everyone's got the right performance even though they may not have the latest spec of engines through no fault of their own uh thanks jp let's head to tim up in london uh a bit more calendar news but this is bad calendar news right uh, because it's the uh, calendar for the epcs or what you may know Ooh. as electric gt uh, because that has been postponed due to them having no money. Yes, this is the series that uses uh, modified Teslas without Tesla being involved in it. Yes. And it's had a couple of uh, false starts, or maybe we should say short circuits, and hasn't really uh, got that momentum that we were just talking about with LNP3. They have a calendar, they have uh, FIA approval, uh, they have all their technical partners in place, they have all their broadcast partners in place. Uh, they just need uh, what uh, CEO Mark Gemmell calls a great lead investor who shares our vision of clean energy and transport. Bono estende. That's the old version, isn't it? I was going to say you've gone back. We've gone vintage, mate. Throw, throw back Wednesday, fantastic news in Spanish with the Sylvia uh, version of the. I've got that on seven-inch record somewhere. Right, oh, fire away quickly. Estas próximas uh, cinco semanas uh, volveré a comprobar si la tierra es redonda. Casa, Rusia, Japón, Japón, Estados Unidos, Mexico, casa. Excellent. Uh, well, Casa is house. Yeah. So um, somebody's having a big party to celebrate them buying a Volvo, which includes people from the United States, uh, two people from Japan. They were mentioned twice, and some other countries. I think Mexico. Uh, Mexico. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that's a tweet from Fernando Alonso saying, in the next five weeks, he's going around the world from his house <laughs> to Russia, uh, and he's drawn a little map here, uh, which. His arrow pointing to where Sochi is is not where Sochi actually is, so he might need to brush up on his geography. Um, he was at the World Karting Championships at the weekend. Yeah, and... congratulations to Nico Rosberg, World Karting Champion, uh, once again. He didn't run in it, did he? He's got a team. Which one? Oh, okay, right, okay. Came across with somebody who was spannering for the Tony Works, uh, Tony Kart team, who's a concierge key member on American Airlines, which I was very impressed at. Um, is that all that we've got time for it tonight? It is all we've got, got time one? for. All right, uh, don't forget, keep an eye on the schedule at RadioLamont.com uh, for our Rensport reports coming this week, courtesy of, uh, of Porsche. And next week, it's the uh, Panamera... Pan America tour uh, as we uh, trudge begrudgingly in a <laughs> turbocharged hybrid uh, estate car uh, from Laguna Seca all the way to Atlanta. Uh, join us next week, 8 o'clock. Thanks to all of our contributors. Particularly good to have Johnny on the show tonight. Thanks, JP. Thanks to our executive producer, uh, 
up in London, Tim Gray, and of course to Nick. And the responsible adult was, as ever, Eve Hewitt. Uh, there's no time to explain because the llama is actually on its marks to head to Laguna Sega to look at some more Porsches. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.